As many of you know, last, last Sunday, my mom passed away. Um, and it's been an emotional roller coaster for me personally. And I felt like, you know, as I was praying and thinking about, you know, this upcoming week, I wanted to come, well, I wanted to come back for, uh, came back for Robin's birthday this past Friday. So if you get an opportunity, you can tell her happy birthday. But um, I was praying and thinking about whether or not I should share a full message or, or uh, just allow um, Isaac to teach. And, and I felt the Lord just telling me to sit and listen for this week. Um, I got the news about my mom on the 31st that she got, had gotten really sick, and we decided on the 1st to, to make a trip down to San Diego. When I arrived, she was pretty much in a, in a diabetic coma, uh, and we weren't sure what, or to, or we weren't sure whether she was going to wake up or not. But throughout that week, uh, the Lord heard prayers. The Lord, the Lord heard um, us, and He allowed for a moment, well, for a few days, for her to to wake up and and um, and regain some consciousness. And she was able to see all her children, all her family. Um, she was able to, to blow kisses. Um, and I think that was one of her prayers answered too, is that her seeing not just her three children together, but all her grandchildren and even a great grandchild there, all in one place. Uh, all my aunts, she was one of 11, so all my aunts and uncles came and, and, uh, and talked to her and, and See her. The one I was saying that I was saying before that my only I only wish that she would have been able to say what was in her heart, what was in her mind, but you could just tell by her eyes what she was saying. Um, and it was a pretty emotional that that week was a pretty emotional time. And the final that Saturday night, I usually because of my hours at work. It was easier for me to stay there overnight, and so that Saturday night, um, I was praying and again asking the Lord, "Okay, how should I bring her comfort?" And so, the Lord just put in my heart, in my heart, to to put on the Gospel of John for her, um, and I played it for her through my Bible app in Spanish, or I played it for her, and she was able to to hear the whole thing. And then after, my mom was a pretty, has always been a pretty faithful person. She held on to her Catholic faith, and, and I, I believe that even, even then, through her faith, there are certain, she would tell me that she would go to retreats, and, and in certain charismatic circles in that Catholic faith, you know, uh, they do um, present the gospel, and they offer, you know, those, those uh, uh, prayers of salvation, so... She would tell me she did, and um, so anyways, I played the gospel for her, and I just, I talked to her, and I said, hey, mom, if you're not sure of your salvation, you need that assurance, you need 100% assurance, let me talk to you and tell you, you know, share with you what the gospel is. So, uh, you know, I did that, and then I prayed for her, and within that hour, you know, that's when she passed away. And I was there along with her when she took that final breath, and that that was that was an experience in and of itself. I 
I never had seen that before. I'd seen death and I've seen all that stuff, but to see someone take their uh, final breath was, and someone you're emotional connected to was, was, was heartbreaking, but I knew that I was gonna see her again. I know that I am gonna see her again. I'm gonna be able to embrace her. She was such a loving, great mom. I mean, I have so many great memories. She, she's the one who, again, taught me how to, how to love, how to laugh, how to enjoy life. Um, she taught me how to pray. She taught me how to, she taught me about God and she taught me about the cross. She would have, you know, she would have, do devotionals with us. Um, you know, you know if, if back then, I, I, one good memory I have of her was that she, you know, for, for those of you who are familiar um, with, these, with this character, very young, very little, she would put on those Sipiin records and she would, you know, we would laugh and dance around, and and uh, she was just she, she was just a very lively and just lovely person, just full of heart, and she loved unconditionally. Even through my teenage rebellious years, she uh, she just completely cared and nurtured and still loved us. And um, as it, as these past years went by, it was her dementia. Her dementia just really got a hold of her. Her diabetes got a really got a hold of her, and uh, and yeah, the Lord decided just to, it was time for her to go home. So, with all that, again, I just wanted to say that your all your prayers, all your thoughts, all your condolences were heard and were really appreciated. I I wanted to be back to be back with my church family, and uh, and to be around you. It's kind of hard being away um, and not having that, and I I really needed that. And thank you so much. I'll be going back on the 15th. We'll be doing her memorial service at that time. And uh, I, I wanted, I was just thinking another thing that answered prayer that happened that day, the day she died. And, and I really wanted to go to church. I really needed someone to be there to, to pray for me. And I was asking the Lord, Lord, I just, should I go to church? I need someone to be there and just to, to pray with me. I didn't, Again, I was kind of feeling a little lonely. So I went back to the hotel room and, and uh, to just to freshen up and, and just to be alone with my, with my family. And as I was downstairs, I was noticing people coming in and out of one of the, of the conference rooms at the hotel. And I started thinking, is this what I, what I think it is? And so I peeped my head in and I was, and I, are, you guys, are you guys a Christian church? And the pastor there was like, yeah, we are. I was like, oh, this is so great. And so I explained to him the situation. I was like, brother, I just, I need someone to pray with right now. I need someone just to, to, to just pray with me or pray for me. And he had just was more than willing, was open, heard me out. After we were done praying, you know, I told him that this wasn't a prayer answered. And um, I shared with him that the similarities, how we began at a church conference room, for those of you guys have been there, and, and as they were bringing in totes, as they were like getting their coffee ready there. And, um, but that, that really helped me out, and that strengthened me a lot too. Um, God's been good. God's been just amazing, and I've been holding on to him throughout this time. The Bible does, in Ecclesiastes, does tell us that there's a time for mourning, and this, 
right now is, is my time of mourning and I'm going to miss my mom terribly. And, um, but even through this, the Bible also says that, you know, in all things, we should give God or we should glory, give glory to God or give God the glory. And, and that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm just, even in this glory in the Lord and, um, And again, thank you for all your prayers and and they're they're being heard. Um, and I can't wait to one day see her and embrace her again and you know and just laugh with her again. So um, I just wanted to share a few words about that, and uh, we should go back to hopefully Lord willing normal teaching. Uh, schedule next next week and go back we'll be going back to Luke but um, and I want to thank uh, Isaac here for for coming up here and sharing throughout this throughout this time and uh, I really do appreciate it so I don't want to take up too much time but that thank you again for so much for for all that so with that I'll just hand it over to to Mr. Isaac Pastor Isaac well good morning everyone Everyone's doing well. Um, excuse my my nasal voice. I'm a little bit sick this morning. So if I start coughing, um, just give me a moment to, to catch my breath. So uh, so this morning, um, I want to continue through the second letter to the uh, Corinthians, as we have been the past two Sundays. Um, today, uh, we'll be in chapter 7. We did finish chapter 6 last week. So this week, we will be in chapter uh, 7. And if anyone needs a Bible, we do have some Bibles uh, in the back. If you, if you need one, uh, let us know. Uh, you can keep that if you want to. And uh, this morning, like I said, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And um, the title of the message is uh, Godly Sorrow. Godly Sorrow. And uh, from last week, uh, as I mentioned, we were in chapter 6. And there were several things that we talked about. We learned that when we narrow our love towards the Lord, that allows us to be separated onto the Lord. And we can separate ourselves away from the dark deeds um, of this world. We talked about living a holy lifestyle and the fact that we live in a world today where people want a lifestyle that allows them to make the most of their lives. And certainly we know that in Christ Jesus, living that holy lifestyle allows us to make the most of our lives in God's grace. And we could do things that the Lord desires us, desires us to do and wants to use us for. So one thing that we looked at was the fact that we need to be honest, have an open heart, not just with the Lord, but with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, Paul, as we read in chapter 6, he had that open and honest heart. Uh, towards the Corinthians and also towards the Lord um, as his king. And as we grow in the Lord together in Christ, another thing that we want to be looking for is when people correct us in the church, uh, when we receive correction, we should receive it with love and with grace because uh, the Lord loves, he corrects those whom he loves. So when we get corrected in the church, it's because the Lord has put it on that individual's heart uh, to correct us, to help us walk closer to the Lord and look more like his son, Jesus Christ. And when we do all these things, when we separate ourselves onto the Lord and we um, allow ourselves to be corrected when we need to be corrected, just like the Corinthians here by the Apostle Paul, 
we can certainly make the most of the grace that God has given to us um, so freely. Another thing that we looked at was we don't want to be unequally yoked to non-believers. And we talked about this in, in different ways. We talked about relationships, for example. We don't want to allow our lustful passions to rival our love for the Lord uh, because we serve a jealous God. He is jealous for you. He is jealous for me. He's jealous for us. So we want to make sure that we are yoked onto the Lord and um, we don't bring something or someone into the relationship that's going uh, to lead us astray. We also talked about applying that to everyday life. For example, if you, uh, like we talked about going into business with somebody who maybe doesn't like people and loves money, right? That's, that's not a good, a good uh, person to go into business with if you are yoked on to Christ Jesus, because certainly you guys are going to have different motives, different mindsets um, for that business relationship. And that's just one example of being unequally yoked, right? We want to make sure we apply this to every part of our, of our lives. Another thing we talked about was um, fellowship, right? We talked about the fact that we are to be in the midst of sinners, but not in fellowship with sinners. You think about Jesus, right? He ate with tax collectors, but he did not engage in the behavior that the tax collectors engaged in, for example. Um, and likewise, in our own lives, we don't want to be those closet Christians where we're hiding away. We want to be in the midst of the world who needs to hear the gospel message that we have freely received. However, we don't want to be engaging in the dark deeds that they are engaging in. We don't want to burn those bridges or, or destroy those bridges that we have to channel the gospel. Um, another thing that we talked about is we don't want to have a foot in the church and a foot in the world, right? We can't be yoked to the Lord and yoked to the world at the same time because you'll be going in completely different uh, directions. Um, the last thing we talked about last time is that we need to live a life, once again, separated onto the Lord, right? We've died to our old selves. And certainly in the flesh, it's hard to give up those things in the world that we used to engage in. Um, and it's very easy to go back to them. So it's very important that we, we continue uh, separating ourselves daily onto the Lord. And we're going to talk more about that this morning here um, in the seventh chapter. So what I'll do is let me open up in prayer and then I'll read the, the text and then we can look at it in more detail. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord, for this time to hear from you. Uh, we pray that you would just speak to us. You would minister to us, Lord, as you see fit. Uh, please fill this place, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, to decrease. That way you can increase, Lord. Help us to just take the message away, Lord, that you desire us to take. We love you. We thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. And here the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. To Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Uh, nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation 
with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, uh, so that I rejoiced even more. Uh, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted in, to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And, this, and his affections, rather, are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you, in you in everything. Amen. So notice here in the text, um, the first thing we're going to look at is uh, Paul's plea for holiness. Now, we did look at this verse briefly last week, but I want to um, talk a little bit more about verse 1. In verse 1, uh, Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, remember, when we separate ourselves um, onto the Lord, we always remember the benefits and the promises that we have in Christ Jesus, right? We, we think about how our sins are forgiven. We think about the hope and the future that we have and the fact that you and I and anyone who ever believes and will ever believe will be considered son or a daughter um, of the Most High. And we know that those benefits, those promises only come by receiving God's grace believing that Jesus died for your sins, believing that Jesus was buried, believing that Jesus rose from the dead three days later, recognizing you are a sinner, you put your faith in that message, um, you repent of your sin, that's what makes you righteous in the sight of God, and that's how you can receive those promises and those uh, benefits in Christ Jesus, through that simple message, yet powerful message that saves. Now, when we separate, separate ourselves from the darkness of the world, and cleanse ourselves um, from all filthiness, we have the opportunity to draw closer uh, to the Lord when we do this. And every single day, the Word of God tells us in the Book of Romans that we're going to fall short of God's glory. And there should be a proactive cleansing daily as believers. And every single day, I think about it, you get up in the morning, you go out into the world, you do the things that you are doing, um, we get dirty. We get dirty in the world when we go about our day. And every single day we need to daily cleanse ourselves of all that filthiness. And Paul says here, he talks about two things. He talks about the filthiness of the flesh 
And he also talks about the filthiness of the spirit. And when you think about the flesh, you can think about the stains of our physical impurities. Uh, for example, if you think about scripture, you can think about like the prostitutes, the tax collectors, th those things that they were doing physically. Um, the spirit, right? Filthiness of the spirit. You think about the inward life, the motives you have inwardly, your heart, um, your thoughts, those types of things. And when I think about that, I think about like the false teachers, like the Judaizers, for example, here in the church in Corinth. I think about the religious leaders. I think about, you know, the Pharisees, those types of things um, when it comes to those types of, of, of filthiness. Now you ask yourself, now how am I supposed to cleanse myself of all of this filthiness? Well, if you look at First John chapter 1, verse 9, and um, most of you probably recognize this as the Christian bar of soap, right? You know, if we confess our sins to the Lord, they will be forgiven, forgiven of us, both sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit. So we have complete access to that, and we need to do that daily. And as we mature in our walk and we go into the world, our desire should be to get less and less dirty, less and less filthy. Um, of course, when we're young in our walks, um, maybe we'll be getting more filthy than when we're more mature in our walks. And um, I was thinking about this, and it reminded me of, of some vivid memories that I have of my nephew, Tristan. I remember when he was about one year old, um, it snowed. And you know, when it snows in West Texas, you get an inch, right? And they close the schools, and people end up in ditches, and it's chaos. And I remember it snowed that day, and I was watching Tristan. He was, like I said, he was um, one, and um, he wanted to go out and play in the snow. That's the first time he had seen snow. So, you know, I got him ready. I put on his jacket, his gloves, his boots. It took me like 45 minutes. It was, it was, he wouldn't sit still. So we finally got all his clothes on. He went out into the snow, and I, you know, I figured, you know, he's just going to touch the snow. He's going to look at it. Well, he actually jumped into the yard and rolled in it. He started eating the snow. Some of it was yellow. You know, they say, don't eat the yellow snow. Um, he was filthy, he, but he was young, right? Um, and then a few years later, I guess he was like eight or seven, it snowed again here. And I remember going outside with him. He was more mature, right? He was six years older. And he didn't do that this time around. He just touched the snow. He threw snowballs at me. Some of them had rocks inside. Um, so it was very different, right? He got less dirty because he was older. And likewise, as Christians, if you're new to the faith, you're likely going to get more filthy in the world than someone who's more mature in the walk with Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to be sinless, but we should desire to sinless, right? There should be more cleanliness in our lives, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because every single day, we should be looking more and more um, like Jesus Christ. Now, in the second part of the verse here, he talks about perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And we already know that because we're in the flesh, every single day we're going to fall short of God's glory. Every single day. And how do you perfect that? How do you perfect, how do you have perfection in the flesh? Well, when you think about it in our lives, like I said, we should strive to be sinless, although we're not going to be sinless. But there shouldn't be a mediocreness in our relationship with Jesus Christ or in our walk with the Lord. And I love what um, we read in 1 Timothy 6.12. Paul writes there, he says, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, and set your minds on eternal things. And I think if we have that mindset every single day, we're fighting that good fight for the faith, we're building God's kingdom, 
and we're setting our minds on the eternal things, the hope and the future that we have in Jesus Christ that will help us to avoid getting as dirty in the world as if we didn't have that in our lives. So moving on to the next set of verses here, which is the second thing we're going to look at this morning, is the Corinthians' repentance in verses 2 through 12. The Corinthians' repentance. So here, um, Paul writes in verse 2, he says, Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. So we talked a little bit about this over the past two weeks, but Paul here was urging the Corinthians to close their hearts off to the world and those dark deeds and to open up his heart to him and to the Lord. Now, if you remember in chapter 6, the very first verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Your heart, or our heart, is wide open. And in the second letter, I love this second letter because we get a good glimpse of Paul's heart here. But in chapter 6, remember, Paul had this completely open and transparent heart towards the Corinthians. And he wanted the same back. He wanted the Corinthians to be open towards him. He says here that he has not wronged them or corrupted them, or corrupted them, rather. And you think about being wronged and being corrupted. There were some individuals in that church body that were leading people astray, those Judaizers. They were telling the Corinthians that you couldn't come to Jesus until after you fulfilled the law of Moses. He also talks about cheating. He didn't cheat anyone. You see, Paul wasn't like so many of these other false teachers. If you look at 2 Corinthians in the second chapter, Verse 17, Paul says, For we are not as so many uh, peddling the word of God or making money off of God's word, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Now, some of the Corinthian Christians there, they had a difficult time trusting Paul and confiding in Paul. They thought less of Paul. Um, but Paul, you know, he didn't have any hidden motives. He was there doing the Lord's work. He was there to plant that church and to disciple that church and to help them grow in their, in, in their relationship with the Lord. And when you think about Paul, his preaching came simply. So if you go back to the first letter, he talks about this in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, "In my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And that's probably why a lot of people thought less of Paul. You think about Corinth, and in that time, um, those people were obsessed with the great wisdom of the world and the movements that were happening in the world. So here, Paul coming, preaching this simple yet powerful message uh, was not appealing to them. And even today, you think about this. People think that Christians, if you're in, you know, if you are serving the Lord, or you're, you're a, you call yourself a Christian, you're in some sort of cult and you've been brainwashed and you are not a wise person. Like people, some people have that mentality about us. But the truth of the matter is they don't understand that it's a relationship. It's, um, it's a way of life that we have chosen because the Lord has come into our lives and has changed our lives. So it's more than that. It's a very powerful thing. In verse 3 here, notice that Paul reminds them that it, um, he's not trying to condemn them, but rather he's trying to confront them. 
okay? He's not trying to condemn them. He's trying to confront them. He's trying to restore the fellowship that he once had with them and also the fellowship that he wants them to have with the Lord. And that's why they needed to separate themselves away from the world and onto uh, the Lord. And when I think about this, you know, nowadays, um, people, a society we live in, right? Everyone is so offended by anything and everything. Uh, so when you confront people, they often think you're condemning them. And I know as believers, we know that when we receive correction or um, people confront us um, in the Lord, you know, we want to receive it with love and with appreciation because we know that, for example, it tells us in the Proverbs, I think it's in chapter 3, and then in Hebrews chapter 12, that the Lord will correct those whom he loves. And um, when we receive correction, we receive that type of thing, like Paul is giving to the Corinthians, we want to receive it with appreciation, with love, with grace, because it's going to help us get closer to the Lord. It's going to help us look more um, like Jesus Christ. Now, in verses 4 and 7, or 4 through 7, uh, Paul continues and he writes, Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, <clears throat> who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced um, even more. So notice here in this fourth verse, you know, Paul has been bold in correcting and addressing these issues there in the church in Corinth. But he has also been bold about boasting about them, right? He had boasted about the Corinthians to Titus, right? He was, you know, fond of these people. He loved these people. This was a church that he had fathered. Um, I think it's in Acts chapter 18. It talks about that time when he fathered this church. And he wanted to continue um, discipling and leading this church in the right direction. And it involved criticism. And it involved boasting about them. Now, in the second part of verse 4, um, all the way through verse 7, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, um, 12 through 13, this portion of scripture is actually a continuation of that second chapter. If you look at that second chapter, there in um, verse 12 and 13, it says, When I came to the city of Tros and preached the good news of Christ, the Lord opened the door of opportunity for me. This is Paul um, speaking here. But I had no peace of mind because my dear brother Titus hadn't yet arrived with a report from you. So I said goodbye and went on to Macedonia to find him. They're speaking of Titus. So if you remember from the first letter to the Corinthians, um, Paul had a great opportunity in ministry in the city of Ephesus, and he remained there. If you look at the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians, it talks about that. And because he was there in Ephesus, he couldn't visit the Corinthians. So he wrote them a letter, and he sent it with Titus to be taken to the Corinthians. And then if you look at verses 5 and 9 in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul talks about visiting them, um, but his plans change. He doesn't go visit them. Instead of traveling from Ephesus to Macedonia with Corinth in the middle there, 
he actually ends up going straight um, to fighting Titus, okay? So he ends up in Macedonia to meet Titus. And this is where we find ourselves this morning here in these, in these verses 4 through 7 there in Macedonia. This is what he's talking about. Paul receives news, as he mentions here, from Titus there in Macedonia. Um, many of the Christian, uh, Corinthian Christians have repented of their sin, those things that they were engaging in, and they were getting their lives back in line. But when you think about this second letter that he had to write, there was still a group of those Christian, Corinthian Christians that were still causing issues, particularly those that were engaging in the false teaching. And they were thinking less of Paul. They were criticizing his apostleship. They thought less of him. So there were still some issues floating around there. And Paul, you know, he was grieved by all of these things. And yet he was also pleased because of some of the good news that Titus was able to share with him. Even though there were still people that were acting up, there was still a group of people that were getting in line. They were regaining their fellowship, not just with Paul, but most importantly, uh, with the Lord. And that gave Paul some comfort and some peace. And then Paul also talks here in the text about enduring some great trials and tribulations outside. Right? He talks about the conflicts here in um, the second part of verse 5. And then he also talks about the um, inside issues, like the inside conflicts. Right? He talks about the fears that he was facing. Right? He talks about this in the first letter. He talks about the beasts that he faced at Ephesus as he was there engaging in that ministry opportunity. And then the inside, of course, he was dealing with fear. And you could imagine, um, people were trying to kill Paul. People didn't want Paul to do the work that he was doing. So he was dealing with a lot, both outwardly and inwardly, um, in his ministry. But what I love about this, and as believers this morning, all of us in Christ Jesus, um, because we all have a ministry, you may not think you have a ministry, but when you give your life to the Lord, you already have a ministry automatically, right? You're to build his kingdom. You're to be that living epistle, that living example. And Paul here, as we read in the word of God, um, and I, I think we can all relate to this, that it's amazing, it's joyful when people repent and come to Jesus Christ or come to the Lord. And seeing people repent and turn to the Lord is, is a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a thing that I think all of us um, can, can certainly agree that when we share the gospel with somebody and they come to the Lord, it's, it makes you very happy. It makes you joyful because now they have the hope in the future that you have. And then they can share it with somebody else or other people and, um, and continue to, to share the love of Jesus Christ. But despite all of that, the difficulties, the heaviness that comes with ministry makes it all worth it as you go through struggles, as you go through difficulties, because we know in this room that giving your life to Jesus Christ doesn't make things automatically go smoothly. Life does not suddenly become easier for us, right? Um, in a sense, sometimes it becomes even more difficult for us. But the truth of the matter is here, um, the fruit of our ministry, even though we may not see it, the joy comes from the obedience and the faithfulness that we give unto the Lord. And I love this because it can be an encouragement, especially when we go through those seasons where we're going through the desert, we're going through a season of dryness in our lives. We can, um, we can reflect on these things, that even out of obedience and faithfulness to the Lord, there is much fruit in our ministry and much fruit in our walk with the Lord. Now, I was thinking about this, and um, I've mentioned this individual before, but you know, even those that were faithful to the Lord maybe didn't necessarily see the fruit they were wanting to see in their ministries, 
And I think about Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet, right? You think about this individual. Um, he was commissioned to deliver this unpopular message of repentance, right? And um, his 40-year ministry, the Lord told him, if you look at the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 16, for example, he was forbidden to get married, to have children. Um, he had no human comfort. All of his friends had turned away from him. Um, he was sad for his people who wouldn't listen. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't receive that message. Yet, despite all of these issues that were taking place with Jeremiah's ministry, um, he found that he could only go on and continue doing the Lord's work, right? And if you look at chapter 20, it talks about this in his unpopular ministry. If you look at chapter 20, verse 9, uh, there Jeremiah then I said, I will not make mention of him, speaking of the Lord, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. So you see Jeremiah there um, trying to get himself out of doing the Lord's work, continuing faithfully in that ministry, but he couldn't do it because the Lord continued to put it on his heart. And I think I've mentioned this before. When the Lord puts a burden on your heart, um, you can't make it go away, like it's just there. You can go over there, but it's going to go with you. You can try different things, and it's going to go with you. You, you. you can't just ignore it. You have to fulfill that burden. And then if you look at Jeremiah 20, verse 11, here the Lord um, mentioning, it says, But the Lord is with me. Actually, Jeremiah is writing this. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. And certainly this promise is not just unique to Jeremiah, but to us as well as we continue um, to serve the Lord and build his kingdom every single day. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there will always be joy in the Lord's work, even if we don't see the fruit that we expect to see, because really the fruit that the Lord is expecting may not necessarily be the fruit that we're expecting. Right. Automatically, we think that numbers are a sign of success, but really the success comes from the faithfulness and the obedience to what God has called you to do. And that's what we want to do every single day. I heard it once said that you're never going to be happy until you do what God has called you to do. And certainly that's something that every single day we have to remind ourselves, because I know daily for me in the flesh, we don't want to do the things God has called us to do. And that's where we have to remind ourselves to separate ourselves and cleanse ourselves of that filthiness. That way we can truly be happy doing the things that God has called you and me to do. Uh, verses 8 through 12, um, Paul continues and he says, For even if I made you sorry, excuse me, <coughs> with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Um, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what, excuse me, indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, <clears throat> what vindication. In all things, 
you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, <clears throat> but that our care for you in the sight of God uh, might appear to you. So in um, looking at these verses, studying these verses, and he's talking about this letter, this sorrowful letter, it's interesting because as I was studying this, um, scholars agree that here Paul, this letter that he's been talking about, um, he's either referring to the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians, or it could be another letter that perhaps got lost and is not in the canon of scripture. Um, that's what some scholars suggest. Um, if you look at the second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about a sorrowful visit, okay? And some scholars say perhaps that this sorrowful visit followed some sorrowful letter that has been lost, um, delivered by Titus. Regardless of the first letter or some lost letter, um, the same subject is at hand here that Paul is addressing. And the Corinthians, they took this letter sorrowfully, this severe letter, this letter of rebuke. And when I think about the Corinthians, I think of them like big babies, okay? Like they're being corrected and they're taking it personal. You know, you think about the world today, you know, they're getting on Twitter, they're complaining about the person, you know, they're getting on Facebook, you know, they're filing lawsuits. I see that like if it was happening in our society today, like I see them like that, rebelling and protesting and just being annoying and not just surrendering and doing what God has called them to do. Now, the letter may have made them sorry, but it was only for a little while because it helped them to repent. It, it produced that godly sorrow in many of these people's lives and it allowed them to get back in line uh, with their relationship with God and also with Paul. And when I think about this, you know, I was kind of sick this week. I went to the doctor. It's like when you go to the doctor, right, and they give you a shot. It hurts, but only for a little while, and then you feel better. So like in the long run, it's a good thing, right? So here Paul addressing them with this sorrowful, severe letter, yes, it hurts initially to rebuke them, but then things got better because they changed their lives around, and now they're walking with the Lord, and things are much better, they're much cleaner in their lives. And likewise with us, when God corrects us, sometimes it's going to be painful it's going to be hard to hear things. I know when I read through the Word of God, there's things that I read that are painful for me to hear because the Lord is slowly taking that dross out of my life and removing it and starting to make me look like His Son, Jesus, more and more every single day. And that's what I love about God's Word. It's His Word that does that. Like, you don't have to do it. Um, you just you direct people to God's Word, and God's Word is the Word that's going to convict. And this is what we see here. It's that godly sorrow that allows us to turn from our sin and to turn back to God. In verse 10, he talks about this, right? He talks about um, the godly sorrow that produces repentance. And like I said, it wasn't Paul that made them sorry. It was the truth of God's word that made them sorry. Paul was the one who penned the word, right? But God inspired him to write this letter to the Corinthians. It was the Lord's word. And it was his word that allowed them to realize that they were doing wrong. And Paul told them in exactly the words that God wanted him to tell them. And by doing this, by using God's word, it was his word that convicted. And certainly it's God's word that convicts and changes people. But also notice he talks about earthly sorrow or worldly sorrow. And 
when I think about earthly or worldly sorrow, so for example, if you get confronted in the world, um, people are not going to do it in a loving way, right? Let's say, for example, you work for, for somebody like your boss, for example, let's say he or she's not a believer. She may confront you in not a very loving way, right? Um, or she might or he might just fire you. I don't know. But when you think about earthly sorrow, that will produce bitterness. It'll produce despair. It'll push people further away from God. Um, it'll push you deeper into sin. You can think about it in that way. And because it's not truth, that confrontation in the world, those words are because it's not necessarily coming from God. And it makes things worse and you fall deeper into sin. And we know that the wages of sin um, is death. And I was thinking about these two examples here of godly and earthly sorrow. And when you think about scripture, for example, um, if you think about the Gospels, um, one guy that came to my mind was Judas Iscariot. Okay, you think about, for example, in Matthew, you think about this guy, the thief, the betrayer, and how sorrowful he was when the Lord was taken to the cross, so sad that he even gave back the 30 pieces of silver that the chief priest had given to him. And he was already separated from God, right? He had separated himself from the Lord, and he drowned in sorrow, and that eventually led to his spiritual and his physical death. And then you think about the sorrow, for example, that we see in the life of Paul. Um, remember when he was on his way to Damascus, if you look at Acts chapter 9, he was on his way to persecute and to drag back Christians in chains to Jerusalem to persecute them. And, you know, this guy has this experience with the Lord on his way there. He's blinded and the Lord speaks to him and produces sorrow. But it was godly sorrow that was produced. And that godly sorrow allowed him to change his life. Um, if you remember when he ended up getting to Damascus, now he, was, he went from someone who was persecuting those that were in the early church to one of those that was um, preaching for the early church or wanting to lead people in that walk with the Lord. So there's a nice contrast there between the godly and the earthly sorrow that we experience um, on this earth as believers and in the world as well. So once again, that godly sorrow, as in verse um, 11, tells us it produces that repentance um, in your life, in my life, and in the life of the Corinthians here. And then in verse 12, um, Paul tells them that this letter uh, was not to dispute, cause disputes or take sides with the Corinthians, but to certainly demonstrate a concern for the Corinthians. Paul wanted the best for that group of believers. And you know, as I mentioned before, when we take that godly correction, um, we don't want to act like big babies and, and make a scene in the church. I mean, I've seen this before where somebody gets corrected and then they start talking bad about the pastor and then they start saying things and then they want to go to another church and they take people with them. We, we need to take it like a Christian should take it and allow that correction to change us and to shape us because we love each other. We want the best for one another. If somebody corrects me, I love when, when Angel corrects me, when people correct me because I want to look more like Jesus. And that's the only way we can, we can receive, we can do that is to receive correction and also by that transforming of his word in our lives daily and being led by the Holy Spirit. But I certainly believe that that element of correction is, is very necessary um, as believers. I'm grateful that my parents corrected me growing up. And as I continue to grow up as a Christian, I want to be corrected. Um, because love, as I mentioned before, love is not tolerance and tolerance is not love. If you truly love somebody, you're going to want to turn them from their ways and turn them in, turn them towards the ways of the Lord and not just sit there and tolerate um, the things that they're doing that are not godly or leading them in a destructive uh, path or a different way. Okay, so 
we see this godly and this earthly sorrow that is being produced here by this, um, this letter. And Paul's very grateful for the godly sorrow that it produced for many of the Corinthians. But you still had that small percentage that were having issues, right? They were still causing problems there at Corinth. Now, if you look at the last three verses here in verse 13 through 16, uh, Paul continues here <coughs> and he says, Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. Um, we have rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. So Paul was comforted because this letter had the desired effect for most of the Corinthians. Um, it produced that godly repentance. It helped them to change the things they were doing, the way they were living. And then Paul even boasted about them before Titus, right, came to them. And because they were an encouragement and a joy to Titus, um, he wasn't ashamed of them. And that said that these things became very true to the Corinthians, the correction that came to them. Not knowing to what expect, you know, Titus goes down there and he experiences the respect that maybe he didn't necessarily expect to get, but he got it. And then Paul tells them that now he's confident that they were trustworthy. And once again, what we see here is the joy in ministry despite the difficulties um, that it may bring. And I love this because this all reminded me of when I, when I first started serving in ministry, and this was actually back when I was living in Colorado. I was serving with the young people and I started having a lot of problems like within the youth group, the young, the young people, um, just issues that were arising, um, you know, that, that are un, not unusual for young people. Um, but I felt like Paul in a sense because you truly, you want the best for, for these young people and then you, you, have to, you have to rebuke, you have to correct and the thing is, you have to do it in a loving way. You have to do it in a way that's going to help them grow and not walk away from the Lord. And um, that was something that was new to me because I wasn't used to doing those things. Um, you know, in the world, I was used to correcting people, but I did it in an unloving way. But now I had to do it in a way that produced godly sorrow and not earthly sorrow. And certainly, as we serve one another, as we correct and we encourage one another, we always want to direct people to the word of God for correction, because it's the word of God that's going to cause that godly sorrow. Not your words, but God's word. Even though he may speak through you, you always want to direct people to God's word. That way, they're not depending on you, and they're depending on God's word, and God's word will have the effect um, that it needs to have, because God's word will never come back void. And I think we all can certainly agree with that. Okay, so <laughs> there are several things that we looked at this morning well, there were two things, a couple of things. Um, so in closing, the first thing we looked at is Paul's plea for holiness, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. From God's word, we know that we need to separate ourselves from the world and separate ourselves onto um, the Lord. Be yoked onto the Lord and not yoked to the world. And when we live a life that is separated onto the Lord, we can narrow our love, right? 
not loving all these things, but rather we're narrowing our love towards um, the Lord. And then we know that in Christ Jesus, there are many promises, benefits, if you want to call them that. And the only way we can receive those things is by putting our faith in his son, Jesus, believing that Jesus died, believing that Jesus was buried, believing that Jesus rose from the dead, right? Putting your faith in that message, um, having that element of repentance. Remember, it's not enough to just have the faith, but you also have, the, have to have that element of repentance in your life. Um, because if there's no change in your life, there's no evidence, right, that the Lord has come into your life to help you change or to change you. Um, our desire now, as we read here, in Christ Jesus is to perfect holiness or the holiness of the Lord in our lives. We're not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. Um, as we talked about earlier, this requires a daily cleansing of the filthiness in our lives. There should be a proactiveness as believers, a daily cleansing. We're not going to be sinless, but we should desire to sinless, right? Um, and like that analogy I gave you about my nephew is we grow in the Lord. We should be getting less and less dirty as we get into the world. There should be less and less cleansing, right? Um, but thank God we have that Christian bar soap to turn to. And the Lord's always um, there waiting to hear from us. He just needs to hear it from our mouth. Also, um, the Word of God tells us, and I love this, right? To submit to God, resist the devil, and then he will flee from us. Um, but you have to do it in that order. You first have to submit to God. You can't resist the devil and then submit to God, and then he will flee from you. No, you have to submit to God first. And thank God we have all the resources we have, right? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have prayer. We have each other as um, brothers and sisters in Christ, right? The fellowship is very important. Accountability, those types of things. And that will allow us to submit to God. And then we can resist the devil because we have those tools, those instruments. And then the devil will flee from us. Also, um, the second thing we looked at, which was the latter part of this chapter, or the remainder of this chapter, um, was the Corinthians' repentance. And what we saw here were two types of sorrows, right? We talked about the godly sorrow and the worldly sorrow and how that earthly sorrow, it's earthly, it's worldly. There's no truth of God in that sorrow or in that correction. And that can make things worse. It can push people further away from God and despair can, can develop. Um, bitterness is produced. Um, it can lead people further away from God and they can fall deeper into sin. And we know that the wages of sin is death. And then, of course, we talked about that godly sorrow that produces repentance in people's lives. And we saw this for many of the Corinthians as Paul wrote this letter. And then that other letter that was sent, the first letter that was sent, in addition to this second letter. And um, Paul, like I said, Paul was not the one who was convicting them. It was the word of God that was convicting the Corinthians. Paul was just the pen, right? He penned the words but God inspired him to write those words um, to the Corinthians to help them. So as believers, as we minister to one another, um, we always, like I said, we want to direct people to the Word of God. That way the Word of God has its effect in not our own earthly wisdom, but God's wisdom. So I'm going to close with this verse, and this is actually the first verse. So Paul once again reminds us, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, <clears throat> excuse me, in the fear of God. Amen. Let me close in prayer, and then um, we have one more song to sing. My Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning.
We pray, Lord God, that your word fell on good soil. We pray that it takes root in our hearts, in our lives, Lord. We pray that it produces fruit. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love, your compassion, your patience with us, Lord, your long-suffering. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray for those that maybe are watching, for those that don't have a relationship with you, Lord, we pray for them. And if that's you this morning, it's a very simple thing. It's a very powerful message, but a very simple message. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, if you believe that Jesus was buried, you believe Jesus rose from the dead three days later, and you recognize that you need a Savior, you put your faith in that message, you repent of your sin, you turn from your sin, and you invite the Lord into your life, you can consider yourself a son or a daughter of the Most High. If you do that this morning, welcome to the kingdom of the Lord. We thank you so much. We pray that if you need help finding a church, that you would find a Bible teaching church, people to guide you, to lead you, to disciple you, to help you. And if that's you this morning, we pray for you. And um, we ask that the Lord help you and guide you and fill you with his Holy Spirit. Once again, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your presence. Um, we pray for this week, this upcoming week, Lord, as we continue to face this battle daily, Lord. We pray that you help us. Give us the desire to separate ourselves from this world and onto you, Lord. Help us to be yoked onto you. Help us to do the things you've called us to do out of obedience and out of faith, out of love, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen.